I want to have a word of prayer, so let's bow our, our heads together here and pray together. Father in heaven, we are so very, very thankful for this opportunity that we have to come together here and, and to sing praises uh, to your name and, and to fellowship with one another and, more importantly, Lord, to learn from your holy word. Uh, the things that we need to know, we we recognize the signs of the times, and we know something's going on, and you've given us warnings, and you've given us a heads up. That's what uh, prophecy is all about, is to let your people know what's going to happen before it happens, so that we can make preparations for that time and help to prepare others as well. Uh, we think of those who aren't with us here at this time, that uh, may be sick and ill. We, we pray that you be very near to them. Be with our children. Uh, Lord, help uh, help them to remember the old ways that they were taught when they were very young and that they will come back. We hold that promise in Proverbs that they will remember this. We pray that you will keep them safe. Be with our families wherever they may be as well. Uh, Father, give me the words to speak today. I also pray for hearts to be open to the truth. The, these are... Uh, some truths that uh, may be kind of shocking uh, to some. And uh, I pray that hearts will be softened to accept what you have for us. And uh, Lord, we know that you have our best interest in heart because you sent Jesus uh, not only to die a death that we deserve, uh, but to show us how to live a righteous life and to empower us to do just that. We love Jesus. We look forward to his soon return, and we want to be ready for that. And so please prepare us, we pray in the name of Jesus. Amen. This is part three, actually, um, of a study that I entitled Identifying Antichrist. And this is something that's uh, very important. I mean, we find it in the Bible, don't we, Russ? And the Bible was written for our understanding. It was given for us so that we may know God's will and God's will for us. And uh, we have an enemy. And the, the Bible calls him the devil, calls him Satan, calls him the dragon. And uh, there was a great controversy that was started in heaven and he was kicked out. And a number of angels went with him. And so we have an enemy here. And there are uh, two spirits in this world now because of this controversy. There is the spirit of Christ and there is the spirit of Antichrist. And God gives us, through His Word, He gives us some identifying marks of this Antichrist so that we may recognize the Antichrist. Because if we don't recognize Him, we will be deceived. Don't fool yourselves. If we don't have the Holy Spirit alive in our hearts, we will be deceived. It's not an, you know, a gray area, it's black and white. And so we've been looking at trying to identify Antichrist according to God's word. It's not opinions, it's not we got in order to do that, we got to use right Bible study principles and we got to look at history and uh, uh, and and use the Bible refers to it actually as common sense. Okay? And so, 
We're studying how the Bible identifies Antichrist, and in part one we learned that there was, and, and I'll, I'll just share with you because you guys missed parts one, and uh, I, were you in the room last week? I don't remember. Okay, because, yeah, I tried to get it uploaded as quick as possible. Um, parts one and two. So, uh, part one, we learned that there was a specific time frame as to when this power would arrive along with some some more important attributes. We learned exactly where on the earth this power would arise. And we learned from Daniel's uh, chapter 2 and chapter 7 that this power had to arrive during the time of the division of the Roman kingdom. You know, into divided into ten parts. That's what that statue in chapter 2, when you get down to the toes, those ten parts, that's what that symbolized. Um, and then we looked at who those kingdoms were. We saw that the Antichrist power would arise in Europe because those were the ten parts that, that Rome divided into, see. And so just learning that fact, it's, we know that the Antichrist isn't going to come from the Middle East. He's not going to come from South America. He's not going to come from North America. He's got to originate and come from Europe. Okay? And he has to come sometime after the year 476 A.D., and that's important too. Because, you know, the devil, what he does, he plays both sides against the middle all the time, doesn't he? Amen. he he'll get you thinking, oh, this is the right course, when actually he's got both of them covered and he tries to squeeze God's people from both sides. All right? Some believe and have put, and this is Antichrist, he's put this theory out that, oh, the Antichrist came a long time ago. So that's past, that's past history. And then there is another uh, faction of Antichrist teaching that says, no, he's way in the future. We'll be long dead and gone, you know, before he even shows up on the scene. Okay? So it's important to know exactly when he came, according to what the Bible tells us. And we look at history and we say, here's the division of the Roman kingdom, and this is what happened. Here's the year that, that uh, this little horn power came up, and he uprooted three, and we went through this in, in part one. In 476 A.D. So this he's got to come after that year. So it's not way back in the past. Well, it is to us, isn't it? 476 A.D. I mean, that's, but, but not according to what they're saying. They're saying, oh, just a long time ago. Anarchist Epiphanes and all these guys. No. Bible prophecy is pretty plain about it. He had to come after that day. So it's not somewhere way in the future either. And so... Um, and we learn this too because Paul says that this power was to arrive before the second coming of Jesus. Okay? It's, he's not going to come. So there's these theories of a secret rapture and, and these theories of after Jesus comes and takes his people home that the Antichrist is going to come and do that. No, Paul says he's going to come before Jesus returns. We looked at that. Paul made that very clear. He, and, and also... The Antichrist is not going to appear after Christ comes, if he comes before Jesus, right? So it does away with some of these, these false theories that are out there. In part two, we learn that the Antichrist would come with deceptive signs and lying wonders. That's what the Apostle Paul says. So he's, he's going to deceive people. And there are going to be wonders. Miracles are wonders, aren't they? Can the devil perform wonders? Yes. And that's what he's going to do. 
And we found that his greatest, according to the Bible, his greatest final deception and lie would be that he is going to claim that he's Jesus the Christ. That's going to be his final deception that will finally get the rest of the world pulled into his side. You know, the Jews, when they, the Jewish leaders, when they crucified Jesus, they actually, a number of them, I can't say all of them because a lot of them were just truly evil and wicked, but a number of them believed that they were actually doing God's will. That tells us that deception is very powerful. It's more powerful than we are. That's why we need the power of God on our side, so that we won't be deceived. And so, uh, we learned that he's, his final deception is going to be to impersonate Christ. We also learned, according to Revelation 13, that his kingdom would receive what was called a deadly wound. We, we learned what that wound represented and the healing of that wound. And the Antichrist power, we learned, is a combination of... It's a power that's a combination of what, Russ? Church and... State. Church and state with the church in control. So they're, they're in union, but the church controls it. See? And what's been... Uh, the, the thing about Antichrist, this Antichrist power throughout history, is that even though they're in control, it's kind of like having deniability, isn't it? Well, we were really, as the church, we didn't do that. The state did that. But you're in control of the state, see? That's how they, they try to claim, well, our you know, pilot, I'm washing my hands of this. Was it Were his hands really clean? No. And that was a combination of church-state act too, wasn't it? The Jewish leaders had Rome do their dirty work. Same spirit. See? Spirit of Antichrist. And so, we find that this power is a combination of a church and state with the church in control. We also took a look at John's description of Antichrist as one who claims that Jesus did not come in the flesh. We learned that the word translated as flesh is the Greek word sarx. You remember that? We learned that the word translated as flesh in the Greek word sarx, it basically means the carnal nature of man. Our nature has a bent to choose to do unrighteousness. And without the power of the Holy Spirit, we will choose to do unrighteousness as our motives are actually you know, from a non-converted heart or from a heart of selfishness. That's what our motives are really from. So it may appear that we're doing something good, but if we're unconverted, when I say unconverted, we're not born again, we don't have the Holy Spirit in us, what is motivating us to do that good thing is not from God. And so it has to be some selfish motive deep, deep down. Now, we may not even recognize it, see. But the, it's, it's really that black and white, and this is what John's trying to tell us here. So when the apostles were talking about flesh... They were using a technical term, and I kind of talked about this last time. It's a technical term in the Bible. They knew exactly what they meant when they said flesh. When you talk about this subject, it's just like a doctor has his technical terms, a carpenter has his technical These apostles have the technical term for flesh. 
that word sarks. They were speaking about our fallen, sinful human nature. So essentially, John is saying that anyone who says that Jesus was not like us in nature, more than the physical, because everybody will agree, well, Jesus, he had arms and legs, and we're talking spiritual here, we're talking heredity, right? So John's saying if if anyone says that Jesus was not like us in nature, in that he had the same sinful human nature, but instead was different than us, this is what they say, John says that person's Antichrist. And so, this is where we are. We're using the Word of God to identify Antichrist because if we don't, if we don't know who he is, we don't know these characteristics, like I said, we're going to be deceived. And we'll follow this this false power while thinking we're following God. (laughs) That's the deception. I mean, let's use the common sense here. If the devil came in and said, look, I'm going to overthrow everybody and how many people really are going to want to follow him? He's got to deceive. And he's got to trick us. See, Now the thing is, God has laid out every opportunity for us not to be tricked. And so if we wind up being tricked, whose fault is it? It's not God's fault. He's laid out every opportunity for us. He's given us His Word, His Bible. He's given us all these things. This is why we're looking at it. We can trust God's Word. A lot of people don't know what uh, the Greek word anti means. We talk about antichrist. Uh, The derived meaning is against, and that's what a lot of people think. They think, well, antichrist means against Christ. uh, um, But that's not the original primitive meaning of it. Uh, The original meaning... Uh, of the Greek word anti is somebody who stands in the place of somebody else. That's really what it means. And if we would convert it to Latin, the Latin word meaning the same thing as anti, do you know what that word is? Vicar. Have you ever heard that word before? Vicar? In Antichrist then when you say Antichrist, an Antichrist is the vicar of Christ. Someone who stands in the place of Christ. Now let me ask you, does that sound familiar to anyone? When you hear vicar of Christ? Do you know any religion where the leader claims to be the vicar of Christ? The vicar of Christ. You know, it's, it's something I've noticed more and more and more as we're getting closer to this, the coming of Christ, closer to this final battle that the, the Bible describes as Armageddon. More and more people, they're just, they're all around it, aren't they? Have you heard it? You know, like you, you know, this power, they think it, of it on political terms, and it is political, but if they could just have some of their blinders removed, they'll see that at the, at the heart of it, it's religious. It's the great controversy, (laughs) is what it is, between Christ and Satan. Vicar of Christ. Let's go back to 1 John 4, because it bears some repeating. Hey, honey, could you get me one of those waters, please? I need need some water. Thank you. Uh, That's fine. 
That's fine. First John 4, and I want to look at verse 3 together here. First John 4 and verse 3. Thank you. And here John says, he says, And every spirit that confesseth not that Jesus Christ is come in the flesh is not of God. And this is that spirit of Antichrist. And this has to do with the basic philosophy, actually, and the purpose of Antichrist. So again, the word flesh is talking about our fallen human nature. So let's look at this text again, and what I want to do, I want to replace the word flesh with the words, our fallen human nature. Okay? So, let's read that again. It says, And every spirit that confesseth not that Jesus Christ is come in our fallen human nature is not of God, and this is that spirit of Antichrist. This is a huge identifying mark of the Antichrist. Okay? Because we're talking about doctrinal teaching here of different of this Antichrist power, and it pervades a lot of Christianity. So there are a number of denominations that teach this Antichrist theology. They've been duped. You see, because John's saying the Antichrist power does not acknowledge that Jesus came in fallen sinful nature. In fact, I think it's actually one of their foundational points in their theology. It's one of their foundational pillars. And anyone who's studied and understands, the, let's say, the Roman Catholic faith will confess that to be true. They stand on that belief. It's a foundational point of theology for, actually, as prophecy declares them, all the daughters of the harlot. I want you to notice this statement. This is one Bible writer, Signs of the Times, February 19, 1894, says, Popery is the religion of human nature. That's an incredible statement. Popery is the religion of human nature. And the mass of humanity love a doctrine that permits them, permits them excuse me, to commit sin and yet frees them from its consequences. People must have some form of religion, and this religion, formed by human device, and yet claiming divine authority, suits the carnal mind. Basically, you can do whatever you want, just profess that Jesus is the Lord. You can do whatever you want, you can sin, you can... You see, this understanding of the nature of Christ will dictate how you approach salvation. You understand what I'm saying by that? She goes on and says, Not caring to know the ways of the Lord, their minds are all open to delusions, all ready to accept and believe a lie. They are willing to have the most unreasonable, most inconsistent falsehoods palmed off upon them as truth. And let me tell you, as we get closer to the end, it is amazing. Look at our culture and society today. There is... We're, we're to a point virtually where there is no moral authority. Truth is what you want it to be. God help us, <laughs> friends. 
if there's no right or wrong, what's really the point? And so, this Antichrist religion, I mean, don't be fooled, it is a logical religion. It's logical. It has a tremendous appeal to human nature. And here's why. Let's think about this. And this is why it's so important to understand. If Jesus did not come to this world in the likeness of sinful flesh, if He was not tempted on every point like we are tempted, if He did not come in fallen human nature, then He was different than we are. Does that make sense? And if He came in the unfallen nature of Adam, as some profess, there in the Garden of Eden, then He's different than we are. Because we're fallen. And if Jesus is different than we are, if He did not even participate in the kind of temptations that we have, because of that difference, it would mean He was not tempted in every point like we are. You follow? But the Bible says that He was. And we're interested in what the Bible says. Isn't that right? Let's go to Hebrews chapter 4. Hebrews chapter 4, we'll, we'll go to verse 14. In the book of Hebrews, Paul is addressing his brethren, the Jews, because they understood the sanctuary system. They understood all those rites and rituals, and he was trying to to get them to see that Jesus was the Messiah and fulfilled all those things. And so here we come to verse 14. He says, Seeing then that we have a great high priest that is passed into the heavens, Jesus the Son of God, let us hold fast our profession. For we have not a high priest which cannot be touched with the feelings of our infirmities. What's he saying by that? We don't have a high priest that is different than us. He understands us because He's like us. This is what Paul's saying. So he says, For we have not a high priest which cannot be touched with the feeling of our infirmities, but was in all points tempted, like as we are, yet without sin. In other words, He was tempted, and when we give in to the temptation, we sin. Jesus was tempted, did not give in to the temptation, therefore did not sin. And that's what Paul's saying. Okay? So, verse 16 then, he says, Because we have this high priest that's like this, let us therefore come boldly unto the throne of grace, that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Because he is so much like us, he understands us, we can come to him boldly. Lord, you know what I'm going through. Help me. And he can help you. Because he has gone through what you... In fact, he's gone through worse than what we will ever go through, friends. <laughs> and so if Jesus of Nazareth was not tempted in every point just as as we are, if he did not have a nature like we have, he cannot understand us completely. And so the result would be that there is this gulf between Jesus Christ and us. And that's what the Antichrist is saying. He's saying, there is a gulf between you. But how would you like to pray to somebody who could not understand you? 
We need help, right? Who can help me? Let's ask the Pope. Who can help me, Pope? And he says, there were some holy people who lived in the world who were just like you. We call them saints. And they can speak to Jesus and talk to Him about your need. Because they feel the way you feel. That's what he says. That's what their religion says. That is a part of the reason for the development of the intercession of the saints doctrine that they have. You realize that? It's why people pray to saints. They pray to them because they they know that those saints understand them because they were like us. But Jesus is so different from us. I'll pray to the saints and the saints will go talk to Jesus. Because they don't believe that Jesus understands. He was different, see, than we are. And the intercession of saints is just the beginning of this doctrinal heresy. It just goes out like roots. goes out everywhere. Christ is thereby removed far from human beings. He's removed far from the sinner. And sinners become afraid to even approach Christ. Isn't that a beautiful attack from the Antichrist? To keep us away from Jesus? What an incredible plan. And so they think they have to approach somebody who's more like them. They'd like to approach Mary, as Russ was saying. They think she'd understand a little better, however, even Mary isn't approachable because they believe that she was immaculate. Because, see, she had to be in order to give birth to the Son of God, right? And so do you see how this error kind of takes a life of its own and it goes, you know? And there's another problem that comes in. If Jesus was completely different than we are, not only can He not understand us, but how could He ever be expected, or we'd be expected to become like Him? Because His nature is different than ours. I mean, a few special people, right, will become like him, like John Paul II, and, you know, and we call them saints. But that's just select special people. What about the great mass of mankind? Well, what they're going to have to do is just simply keep confessing their sins. Because if you ever get caught with a sin that's unconfessed, you can't keep from sinning, right? So you just have to keep confessing. And there are hundreds of millions of really sincere people who know nothing else about the Christian religion except that Jesus is different than they are. And they can never become like Jesus. And they can never overcome their sins. Hundreds of millions of people. And they believe they can never be like Jesus in character, that they can never be an overcomer of the flesh. And it's because they don't understand the true gospel. What does gospel mean? Good news. Is it good news that you're going to be sinning the rest of your life? Or would it be good news that I can help you overcome that sin and you'll never do it again. You'll never have that guilt in your heart again. That would be good news. 
So they don't understand the true gospel. They're believing the gospel according to Antichrist. See? The true gospel teaches not only forgiveness of the guilt of sin, but also that you will overcome your sins. Jesus told the lady caught in adultery, Go and sin no more. He didn't condemn her. She was full of guilt, caught in the act. But he forgave her, and then he empowered her through the words, Go and sin no more. And she became arguably one of her one of his closest disciples. But that's what the gospel teaches. In fact, Scripture promises salvation only to those who do overcome their sins. They stop sinning. Do you know that? That's what the Bible teaches. Revelation 3 and verse 5. He that overcometh, the same shall be clothed in white raiment, and I will not blot out his name out of the book of life, but I will confess his name before my Father and before his angels. For who? He that overcometh. He who accepts the Son. I, it took me a, a number of years as a Christian to finally get this drilled into my head. Our Father in Heaven basically is going to ask us, what's your decision about my Son? Because that's what it boils down to. What are you going to do with the gift of my son? That's what he's concerned about. I mean, how would you feel? You give the greatest gift that could ever be given. You give everything you have. You'd want to know whether they're going to accept that or not, wouldn't you? Because it all boils down to that. Are you going to accept Jesus as your Lord and Savior? Or are you not going to accept him? Are you going to have a new heart because you've accepted Him? Or are you just going to be the same old person? That's what the Father wants to know. Because that's where it starts. See? And that's how we begin that walk to be an overcomer. Because if we give God the permission, and by accepting His Son we've given Him permission to work in our life, we start down that path of overcoming. That's what Jesus showed us when he came here. It is possible to do it. And I'll show you how. This is what he said. So it's the overcomer. And you'll find that the Bible says that no one else has promised salvation but the overcomer. You can look at John 8, 1 John 3, Romans 8, and go through Revelation over and over and over and over and over. But people don't know that. They believe that you can be saved in sin as long as you keep your sins confessed. And that's what the Antichrist power does. People go to church. Take the Roman Catholic Church, for example. You go and they have booths for confession. And they want you coming back. They don't want you overcoming your sins. They want you coming back. It's like Deb said a minute ago. We want the coin. You know, it's just like uh, you know, uh, the, the medical industry today. 
for the most part, they don't want you well. That's their livelihood. They want you just to get you know a little better, treat the symptoms, and you know a few months down the road you get back, come back and see me. Shell out the money. Well, I guess we didn't we didn't find what the real problem was. Let's see if we can find something else. Go in and take these tests. When I was in Florida, my blood pressure started going up. I monitored a lot. It started going up for a week, and it, and then one night it spiked real bad. And I woke Deb up. Is it like midnight? And I said, I think I need to go to the hospital. So she took me to the hospital. I spent two nights in the hospital. They ran, I think, almost every test you can imagine. I have insurance, you see. <laughs> I ran about every test. Now, in some respects, that's kind of comforting because they can rule some things out. You know, you go, oh, okay, my heart was tested. They did a stress test on me. Used to, a stress test was you got on a treadmill. Oh, they don't do that anymore. They pump a chemical into you, and your heart races. And it feels like you're running on a treadmill, but you're not actually running on a treadmill. I mean, I was sweating, breathing heavy, and I'm like, good grief. And she says, yeah, the lady told me, treadmill, you know, they'd have you go for 10 minutes or whatever. This takes about one minute. And it did. It was like I was sprinting for one minute. And they do all the tests on it. I was in the hospital two, two nights. Got the bills, and it was like $26,000. Two nights. And it wasn't even a private room. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it wasn't a private room. That was a little hospital. They had 50, 50 beds, 25 rooms. You shared a room. $25,000. So, you know, that's that's this, you know, Mentality and this Antichrist spirit, he wants you coming back. You know? And so, you know, as long as you keep your sins confessed, they go to confession every day, every week, and keep confessing their sins. And these people don't expect to overcome their sins ever. They just know that they're going to sin for the rest of their lives. But they think if they keep their sins confessed, then they're going to go to heaven. And that's the lie. And how is that good news? It's a terrible delusion. And it's taken almost the whole Christian world captive. Jesus actually addresses this theory. It's in Matthew chapter 7. These are Christians who believe that they are going to be saved. But they're not going to be saved. And the day of God is going to bring them to a most bitter, a bitter disappointment here. Matthew 7 verse 21. And this is Jesus speaking. He says, Not everyone that saith unto me, Lord, Lord, shall enter into the kingdom of heaven. But who does? Notice who he says. But he that doeth what? The will of my Father which is in heaven. Many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied 
in thy name? And in thy name? What's that mean when he says in thy name? I've come in the name of Jesus to do this. So they're using his name, right? So they're saying, in thy name we've cast out devils. And in thy name done many wonderful works. He's, you know, they're, they're essentially, they're arguing with Christ. In verse 23, And then will I profess unto them, this is what Jesus says, I never knew you. Wouldn't that be a shock? You're doing all these things, thinking you're doing them for the Lord, but you have an unconverted heart. You would be stunned to hear Jesus say, I don't even know who you are. And then he says, not only do I not know you, get away from me, depart from me. You're a worker of iniquity. But these people believe that they've received the Holy Spirit. They've been working miracles. They've been speaking in different languages. Oh, they've got the tongues, you know. Speaking in tongues. That's the sign. That's not what the Bible says. <laughs> they've been prophesying in Christ's name. These are the people who've participated in the great revival of Antichrist the Bible talks about at the end of the world and they cannot believe that they're not saved. Like I said, they're very bold. You know what they're telling the Lord here? You've made a mistake. That's what they're telling Jesus. Now think about that for a minute. (laughs) They tell the Lord Jesus that He's made a mistake. Really? Can God make a mistake? You know, Judas, he thought Jesus was weak. He thought Jesus was making a mistake, so he stepped in to push the Lord into action, didn't he? What happened to him? He betrayed the Lord. And that same Antichrist presumptive spirit comes forth from these people that Jesus is describing. But I'll tell you, from the lips that never make a mistake, he replies... I never knew you depart from me. <laughs> you that work iniquity. But what is their problem? When you, when you really look at it, their problem is that they're breaking God's law. They thought that they could be saved in sin. And that's what they've been taught. They've been taught this from their ministers and their pastors and from the, the churches of Antichrist who profess and do things in Christ's name. See? And that, that's the lie of the Antichrist that John described in 1 John 4. Let's go to 2 Thessalonians chapter 2 and verse 9. Again, 2 John, I'm, I'm going to, I think, move along here a little bit quicker. 2 Thessalonians chapter 2 and verse 9 says... And this is Paul, he's saying this again. He says, Even him whose coming is after the working of Satan, with all power and signs and lying wonders, and with all deceivableness of unrighteousness in them that perish, because they receive not, what? The love of the truth. In other words, they didn't love 
the truth. By the way, who is the truth? So what essentially is Paul saying? They don't love Jesus. <laughs> they receive not the love of the truth that they might be saved. And for this cause, God shall send them strong delusion that they should believe a lie. God allows it. Because they made their choice. And God won't force. He won't force His will on anyone. And what is the lie? The lie is that you can be saved in sin. That's the lie. That's the lie of Antichrist. And that is the philosophy of Antichrist. That's actually the objective of Antichrist. Verse 12, That they all might be damned who believed not the truth, but had pleasure in what? Unrighteousness. Pleasure in unrighteousness. There was a time when God's people did not believe the lie. But we've been influenced by it. The teaching of Antichrist that you can be saved in sin, just keeping your sins confessed. But friends, the Bible says we cannot be saved without overcoming sin. Have you read any history about the early Christians? I want to share this. This is from the book, The Great Controversy, page 46. It says, The early Christians were indeed a peculiar people. Aren't God's people to be a peculiar people? What does that mean, to be a peculiar? Not like the world. Not like the world. Different. Different. There's, you know, not strange. Well, you could. some people would think strange, but not perverted, not abnormal, not mental. Different. When Jesus walked through a village, they would look and say, there's something different about him. When they heard him speak, they said, he speaks with authority. <laughs> there's some difference, see? Peculiar. She says, the early Christians were indeed a peculiar people. Their blameless deportment and unswerving faith, notice this, were a continual reproof that disturbed the sinner's peace. Their blameless deportment and unswerving faith. They didn't even have to say anything to them. When Jesus walked past the leaders of Israel, He didn't have to say a word to them. Just His presence, the way He behaved, His deportment, His unswerving faith rebuked them. <laughs> That's why they hated Him. And this is what she's saying. These early Christians were like that. So they were like Jesus, weren't they? Though few in numbers, without wealth, position, or honorary titles, they were a terror to evildoers wherever their character and doctrines were known. They were a terror to evildoers. That made me think. Is what I believe a terror to evildoers? If it's not, then what I believe is not what the early church believed. It's just that simple. I need to step back and take a look at what I believe and compare it to what's in the Bible. 
God's last day people have been affected by Antichrist, friends. We've been affected by the lie. And the truth is that not one of us is going to be saved in sin. Not one person. And if there is any sin in our mind or in our character that we have not overcome, we're not going through the pearly gates, friends. It's that plain. Now we've got time to be overcomers. We're in probation time. Jesus has promised all the help in the world to us. Now's the time to do it. And people have heard the lie for so long that when they first hear that they cannot be saved in sin, they're shocked. They can hardly believe it. And this lie has gone all over the world. It's affected almost all Christian churches. It's even affected non-Christian churches. (laughs) But it's still a lie. It's a lie of the Antichrist power. People say that nobody can be perfect. Have you ever heard that before? Anytime I talk about this and show them in the Bible, well, nobody can be perfect. In other words, what they're really saying is everybody's going to sin a little bit. Yeah. Almost. Well, that's right. Almost all the people in the world are going to sin, but they're not going to heaven either. The only people going to heaven are the people who quit sinning. And you can't do it on your own. That's what most people think. The unconverted heart thinks, oh, I've got to do it on my own, and therefore that's impossible, so nobody's perfect. You see, spiritual things are spiritually discerned. In order to discern it spiritually, you have to be spiritual, and in order to be spiritual, you have to have the Holy Spirit. <laughs> so don't believe it because I said so. Read your own Bible. (laughs) It's there. I can just point to it. And this isn't in some obscure scriptural theory. I mean, read John chapter 8. Read Romans 6, Romans 8, Galatians 5. Read 1 John, all three epistles. The book of James, Revelation 2, 3, 21, 22. It's there. Scripture makes it very clear that when Jesus comes again, He's going to have a people who are without spot or wrinkle. Have you heard that? They're going to be holy and without blemish. You know what it says? And they're the only people that are going to be saved. Now maybe someone's saying, there's always someone who's sinning. I guess I'll just not be able to go to heaven then. And people get discouraged. Because what they're seeing is the end result. And they're they're seeing where they are. And they're thinking, I can never get to there. When what they should be seeing isn't the end result, what they should be seeing is Jesus. (laughs) Jesus takes responsibility to get us to the end result. You understand? We just need to keep our eyes on Jesus. That's the key. And so that's why when I say, and I told my kids, God the Father's concern is, what are you going to do with my son? Are you going to accept it or not? Because that's where it all begins. Every day. 
I hope I'm making sense to you. Because you're, you're not going to be able to go to heaven if you don't let the Lord work in your life and work a complete change. You see, because when Jesus sees us, He does see the end of the road. He does see the polished gem. He knows how to get us to that point. Do we really know how to get us to that point? No. <laughs> we don't know how to get there. We've got theories about how we can do that. Maybe I can do this a little better or I can do that. But when you... you and the, the devil likes us to be in that kind of situation and that kind of thinking because then he can just pound us and pound us and pound us and when we fail, 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 we become discouraged and we say, well, it's not even possible. Well, of course it's not possible. Only with Jesus is it possible. Jesus said, without me, you can do whatever you want. No, he said, you can do nothing. But with Christ, all things are possible. So that's the key, isn't it? The key is Jesus. And so when you love Jesus, you begin to love the truth because Jesus is the truth. And when you begin to love the truth more and more and more because you love Jesus more and more and more, you'll be going down that road to being that overcomer. You are an overcomer, as a matter of fact. You may not see yourself that way, though. Because the closer we get to Christ, the worse we think we are. That's just the way it is. Because we are exactly partaking of that humble nature. We see ourselves reflected against perfection. (laughs) Jesus says, quit looking at that and look at me. And that's the key. He has the power to save the most vile, degraded sinner. Do you believe that? Yes. Amen. Because I believe I'm one of the most vile, degraded sinners there's ever been. Matthew 22 relates the story of a wedding for a king's son. And after the people who were first invited wouldn't come, the king said what? He said, go into the highways, the byways, and bring in all the people. You know that's happening right now? I believe that's happening right now. And when we come right down to the end, there's going to be a people on the inside of the city of God, that new Jerusalem, who in their past have been vile, they've been degraded sinners, but they came to the Lord and they said, Lord, please change me. In their biggest sin, they bring to the Lord and they say, I'm willing to give it up. And that's the key, if you're willing to give it up. You've got to make that conscious decision. That's what free will is all about. Are you going to pay for the consequences of your choices or are you going to turn your choices over to Christ? Because He's paid for the consequences already. You might be going to a Christian church and still have the live Antichrist in your mind because you don't realize that all sin must be given up. It must be forsaken. It has to be overcome. But the good news is Jesus promised to give you power to overcome. Do you believe that? Many people have told me that they could not overcome. Yes, you can. The Lord said that you can do it. And 
Why not put God to the test and say, Lord, here I am. I'm going to give it everything that I have. And I'll tell you, we began uh, our service this morning when we talked about Psalms 9. The Lord will not answer your prayers if you just give Him half your heart. But if you make a total, complete surrender and bring your sin to Him, you know what's going to happen? You're going to have victory over it. Because Jesus did. And He proved to us that by depending upon and trusting and giving our will to the Holy Spirit, then we can overcome our sinful tendencies to sin. Because the God that we serve is powerful. And this is something I learned, I'll tell you. Don't ask if it's His will to overcome sin. When you're asking for victory over sin, you don't need to ask whether it's God's will because it's His will to deliver us right now. (laughs) I found this gem in the Desire of Ages, the book Desire of Ages. Page 266 says, When we pray for earthly blessings, the answer to our prayer may be delayed, or God may give us something other than we ask. But not so when we ask for deliverance from sin. It is His will to cleanse us from sin, to make us His children, and to enable us to live a holy life. That's His will already. So if there's sin in your life that you've you've never overcome, if you will come to the Lord today and say, Lord, I'm willing to give that sin up now. Today, the Lord will give you power to overcome that sin today. Because the power is inherent in the promise already. If we're going to go to heaven, we're going to have to get serious, friends. And the prophet wrote that when God sees that we're really serious, He will attract our heart to Himself like a magnet. I like that. You want that to happen? God wants to do that for you, but unlike the Antichrist... God never uses force. Because remember, one of the things we learned about Antichrist was it was church and state combined. Why do you think that is? Force. Force. Because the church can't, their doctrines are so against God, people kind of just won't do them, so they have to, they haven't won the people's hearts. So they have to force the people. Well, they don't have the arms. They don't have the ability to do that. So they combine with the state. And so then the state gets involved and will force. See? That's the Antichrist power. They use force. Coercion. But God will not operate in violation of your choice. So friends, are you going to escape the lie that you can be saved in sin? The reason people like the lie is because it's so attractive to our fleshly nature. 2 Thessalonians 2.12 says there is pleasure in unrighteousness. That's true, isn't it? If you're having pleasure in unrighteousness, though, what condition are you in for eternity? You're lost. Don't fool yourself. The fact that you are in church is not going to save you at all when the plagues begin to fall. 
I've met people with sin in their life, and when I urged them and encouraged them to allow the Lord to deliver them, they said, well, the Lord knows how I feel. Yes, the Lord knows how you feel, but you're not going to heaven with those kinds of feelings and thoughts and actions. It's not going to happen. So don't fool yourself. Don't think, oh, I know what the Bible says, but I can still eat what I want, dress how I want, worship how I want, go to heaven. Jesus did not promise salvation to anyone like that. Don't commit the sin of presumption. Because part of accepting Jesus as Savior is also accepting Him as your Lord. So He tells you in this walk to that finished product, this is how I want you to behave. This is how I want you to speak. This is how I want you to do these things. Most importantly, this is how you love others as I have loved you. And so you obey out of love. If it's going to please Jesus, I'll do it. God is powerful. And He wants to heal you and me. And I don't know what the passion is in in your life. I don't know what that passion is that the devil's put in your heart and in your mind that you cannot overcome. I don't know what it is, but God does. I don't know what your heredity is or your, your past environment has been so that you have maybe this certain problem in your life. I don't know, but God knows about it. And God's waiting to set you free from that besetting sin. And we all have besetting sins right now. Because the Word says when His people are ready, He will come. And He hasn't come yet, has He? So we have some things that need taken care of, don't we? And if we're going to be set free at all, we're going to be set free in this life. Because we're not going to heaven in chains to be set free there. And if you want to be set free, you've got to bring your sin to the Lord. And the thing is, He's just waiting for you to ask. He's itching. Have you ever heard that? He's itching for you to ask. So if you put all these things together that we've been talking about, the Antichrist power can only be one thing. It couldn't apply to anything else. This one power meets everyone. In fact, over 60 descriptions I found in identifying the Antichrist that are in the Bible. And really in its... You know, this study, these three parts, we've just kind of scratched the surface, really. And we found that that power is the papacy. And what does the papacy mean? It's a term meaning the office and the authority of the Pope of Rome. You see, the Bible doesn't get in to attacking people. We're talking about an antichrist power, a system. Okay? Because we're all human beings, and we can all be deceived. We all can be thinking we're doing God's will when we're not. That's what Antichrist is all about, isn't it? But when you put all these, line all these identifying marks up, this is who pops out that qualifies. And the papacy is a term that means the office and the authority of the Pope of Rome. Okay? So I hear sometimes people say, well, the Antichrist is John Paul II. I remember seeing that before. It's not a particular person per se. It's a power. Okay? He happened to be wielding that power 
and representing that power at that time. He's not around anymore, is he? Does that mean Antichrist disappeared? No. And even though Jesus said, Judge not, that you be not judged, Matthew 7, 1, we're living in a time when actually world, all our world governments want to do just that. They pass legislation against hate crimes because the devil's trying to make it so that you and I cannot tell people who the Antichrist power is. They'll say, yeah, that pastor there, he's preaching hate. I'm just telling you what the Bible says, friends. And that's what the devil's goal is, to make it impossible for us to get the word out about who he is and how to be saved from him. And it's going to get harder and harder. And that's why, friends, we need to pray. We need to ask the Lord to help us quickly get out the word about who the Antichrist power is. Because very soon, we're not going to be able to do it. Our Bibles are going to be taken away from us. Do you know that? It'll happen. We're not going to be able to distribute literature. It's going to be impossible to send out any books because those who actually follow God are not going to be able to buy or sell. Let that sink in. So right now, if you know somebody who is deceived, somebody who's confused, who doesn't know the truth, you need to help them find the truth about who the Antichrist is because if they worship it, or they receive its mark, they're going to receive the plagues. And friends, the plagues could be coming sooner than we realize. Jesus said His return, He comes as a thief. That means we're not expecting it. We may think it's somewhere down the road and all of a sudden, we're living in the last days. I don't think that's arguable. Things are winding up. It's happening right now. So you need to not only know who the Antichrist is, but you need to prepare to answer for your faith. To your neighbor, your family. I mean, you may even be drug into court. Did the apostles have to do that? It's not going to be any different. Are you ready for that? Now's the time to get ready. The thing I want to encourage you about is that we are on the winning side. (laughs) It's not going to look like it for a while. For a little while it's going to look like Satan's won the great controversy, isn't it, Russ? But he's not going to win. Truth and righteousness is going to triumph. And if you stay with God's message, when that message triumphs, you'll triumph with it. Let me close with this. This is... Another thing I found in, uh, this is from Selected Messages, page 402. The greater man's influence for good, under the control of the Spirit of God, the more determined will be the enemy to indulge his envy and jealousy toward him by religious persecution. But all heaven is on the side of Christ, not of Antichrist. Those who love God and are willing to be partakers with Christ in His sufferings, God will honor. Antichrist, meaning all who exalt themselves against the will and work of God, 
will at the appointed time feel the wrath of him who gave himself that they might not perish but have eternal life. All who persevere in obedience, all who will not sell their souls for money or for the favor of men, God will register in the book of life. That's an encouragement. And I want to encourage you. With Christ, you're on the winning team. Although it won't feel like it, it won't even look like it. But that's kind of a final test for us, so to speak. I've told people before, you may feel like you're alone and you may be alone. You may wind up being in a prison cell. You may wind up being in a cave. You may wind up wherever. But you're not alone. All heaven is on your side. And all heaven outnumbers Antichrist and his legions. By far. And so now that we've identified the Antichrist in a few of the 60 or so descriptions in God's Word, we can actually choose not to be deceived by Him. And so we won't be connected to Him. And so we won't lose eternal life. Let's be watchful and pray, beloved, like our Savior told us to, because time is short and we need to be ready. Amen. Let's bow our heads. Father in heaven, we do thank you again so much for this holy Sabbath day. We thank you for uh, the many blessings that you pour out upon us because we know that you love us. You love us so much you sent your Son so that we may have eternal life. What an incredible present to humanity. We're thankful for um, your holy word, that it speaks the truth. We found it in our lives that it does. We are thankful for prophecy that, that gives us the future in advance so that we may be prepared for what's coming. And I pray, Father, for the Holy Spirit to be poured out with power upon each and every one of us so that we may discern these tricks of the devil, that we may warn others of his character so that they may not be deceived as well. Please continue to be with us throughout this day and in the coming days ahead so that we may be a light to all those around us May they see Jesus in the way we, we behave, the things that we think and do. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen.